Philadelphia. Yeah. Philadelphia. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And uh, I'm, I'm stirred up about Philadelphia. <laughs> Uh, of course, Neil Neil is from uh, Boston. He he never has figured out the terminology for cow, for cowboys and things like that. He, he still thinks it's the Long Ranger. <laughs> but that's okay because, because uh, he's clear about he uh, he's clear about what his illustration means, and that is it's it's Philadelphia, right? We're remember, we have member power in yeah. Philadelphia. Amen. And we're not lone rangers. Amen. But we're, but we're uh, members. Amen. We're members. Right? Little members. We have a little strength. Right? And we don't deny his name. Amen. We hold his word. Amen. It's so good. Amen. Uh, I hope, uh, well, a couple things. Number one, uh, can we do without that fan? I think everybody's comfortable enough. And that'll cut out a block of noise that will help because uh, we can't go all day talking. Uh, that's why so much trouble has gone to arrange the acoustics, okay? Uh, and yeah, and the saints, you saints from Houston, there's seats right along back here we tried to save for y'all to come on in. Come on in, win. Uh, scoot all the way down so others coming in later can have the seats uh, closer to the door and less confusion. Now, everybody should have uh, a couple of outlines. Uh, the one is a chart that Neil just uh, showed, and then we have the outline on the last church in Revelation 3 that is a church in Laodicea. Now, uh, one thing I want to mention that uh, about this outline, as you will notice, uh, as we have pointed out before, that out of seven churches, the first three are staggered. Right. That is, one phase of church history stops, and another phase of church history picks up. And they and they are named Ephesus. It stops after approximately 100 years. The second one starts at Smyrna. It has a time period uh, till 325 or so. It stops. Then Pergamos starts up. It has a definite time historical period. It stops. And then uh, Thyatira starts, which represents the uh, definite official uh, established uh, uh, Roman Catholic Church after so much time had passed. And that begins roughly at the beginning of the uh, 6th century. Well, starting with Thyatira, uh, seven in the Bible is a number for completion in this age, just like 12 is a number of completion in eternity. And when you have seven, the Lord picked out seven churches in one little area uh, of, of uh, Asia Minor. And actually, uh, if this is Asia Minor, which is today's Turkey, the Mediterranean Sea is here, and you, and you trace these churches where they're located, Ephesus was a coast, uh, a seacoast city, and, and quite a large one at that time. Right. And the second church, uh, which was Smyrna, was located, this is just, of course, approximate here. And then you reached up to another one, which was Pergamos here. Then, quite, quite uh, 
uh, wonderfully put in a geographical setting and just according to the account because there were many churches the Lord could have used in the in these chapters in Revelation to show the coming prophetic history of the church until he comes back the second time. <clears throat> and it also showed the condition of those churches at that time. It did both. But right here after uh, Pergamos, Thyatira is approximately here. And then after Thyatira is Sardis here. And then uh, comes, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> This is uh, uh, Ephesus, uh, Smyrna, this is Pergamos, and Thyatira is here, kind of as an apex. <laughs> and then you get to Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So you have, you have a section of three churches here, and you have a section of four churches here, you see, and they're just in this little area of Asia Minor. Of course, Greece, uh, this doesn't do it justice. It's a big place. And these churches are can be divided into three plus four. Uh, in, in, in the number seven in the Bible, mostly it's divided into three plus four. Uh, and, and these churches are like this as well, meaning that the first three churches are in one kind of category in that they represent a definite frame of church history that came, stopped, and was succeeded by something else. Just like Constantine nearly overnight changed the Roman Empire from a pagan one to a Christian one by a royal decree. Okay, so that stopped and that started. Now, when you get to Thyatira here, in Asia Minor, Thyatira, then you come to Sardis, then Philadelphia, then Laodicea. You'll notice on the chart that there is no stopping and starting, but if this is the Lord's second return right here, Thyatira goes all the way, Sardis goes all the way, Philadelphia goes all the way, and Laodicea goes all the way. That means that uh, a new kind of uh, experience comes into the uh, uh, way that God's people are on the earth, and that is when Thyatira comes in and all the things that happen there and all the and all of the uh, uh, the acceptance of all the pagan things came in that that uh, church that church in Thyatira which was prophetic of the coming Roman Catholic world church that church was not going to be overthrown people did protest and they became the Pro the Protestants and so they left but she stayed and so uh, at that time two lines began to take shape you see and uh, this line stayed on the course and it will continue. The line of Thyatira, that is the Roman Catholic line, will be here at the Lord's second coming. Why? Because in these scriptures there are statements and hints that uh, that, that church is involved in the Lord's second coming.
coming, whereas in the first three, there's an absence of these, you see. So uh, this continues. Then when you get to Sardis, this continues as well. This is the Reformed Church. And this is a church that is the mother of the, uh, of the uh, churches in the West, okay, mostly. Thyatira has her uh, offspring, but the West is characterized up through the uh, upper areas of Europe, especially England, and then through the migration uh, and the discovery of the New World and so forth. This reformed uh, way of being a Christian, according to uh, uh, an advanced enlightenment, found its way to the New World, and the New World became a sanctuary for these people who were being persecuted by Thyatira. You see, the New World was discovered uh, in the same decade, approximately in the same decade that Martin Luther was born just to show you God's sovereignty working together like this, okay? So this uh, protesting Reformed Church came out, and as Neil said, it did, it did something, but it only went so far, and that's why the Lord says, I have not found your works complete before God. He didn't say wrong, because what they did, there were many right things, and when you compare it to Thyatira, it looks like a superstar, but it was not all the way back to desirable, which was the initial stage of Ephesus. Okay? Then, uh, when you come to Philadelphia, you find the reaction is not so much against Thyatira because everybody by that time has already reacted and got into Sardis. So the reaction here uh, at Philadelphia that mostly, mostly began uh, around 1825, uh, I think mostly the, the action actual official date is 1827 when they first broke bread in Dublin, Ireland. And so when that occurred and they had uh, they had the movement begun known as the Brethren or as the Plymouth Brethren, which is not a historical splash. It is just not that well known. Why? Because not because there weren't a lot of them or because of a lot of things, but because they shunned and they even uh, refused to be publicized. They just decided that the name of Christ and the church of Jesus Christ was not one to become uh, spread around and made common like worldly things. And so they would, re- this is why even the great ones among them, if you don't, if you don't read their writings and some of the volumes they wrote, you never, you never heard of it. You ever heard of John Kelly? Do you know who, uh, do you know, do you know who uh, uh, Ironsides is? You see? Uh, some of you may know who Macintosh is. He's probably the most popular writer. But most of you never read, read one paragraph of Mac, Macintosh. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. They had tremendous writers. D.M. Panton was fantastic. But probably you never even heard his name. You see, these guys wrote, and I don't mean they wrote a book or two. I mean, they wrote commentaries on the whole Bible. Uh, John Nelson Darby not only wrote, wrote the most exhaustive commentary on the Bible, but he also translated the whole thing. He just decided we need a new translation. And you know what? They didn't like to take names. They would not take names. Right. People would give them names, like right. the Plymouth Brethren, but they would not take a name. Mm-hmm. 
In fact, when they translated the Bible, they didn't know what to name it, so they just called it a new translation. <laughs> the name of it became a new translation. Yeah. Uh, this was the way they were. Actually, uh, if you would, uh, if you would know our history in the Lord's recovery, uh, you would have to say we really uh, come. Our root system does really come from that uh, initial stage there with the brethren. We learned so much. If we would have had to start from scratch back in the 1920s when Watchman Nee and some others were raised up in China, if we would have had to start from scratch, we would not be uh, at the point that we are today, wherever that is. Because we learned so much, we just did the wise thing, which is the way church history goes. We just stood on their shoulders, picked up the positive things, and went on. And, it's, and as the brethren progressed in their day, uh, getting into the light more, well, then, of course, the brothers that were practicing uh, in the Lord's recovery, they progressed. And so many things were done and recovered. The brethren, of course, would not allow women to speak in meetings, as an example, because there's a couple of verses that say the women should keep silence. But the brothers in China really got into these yeah, kind of right. things, analyzed them in more depth, and they realized that their work, it was a conditional thing. They were not to speak under a kind of a, a certain type of way of speaking right. because there were some counter uh, verses that showed that under some conditions that they were supposed to speak. That's right. So they had to put it together and find out. You see, the Bible always brings out truth is when you bring all verses to bear on any one given subject right. and right. you put it in and you mix it and you pound it and you just see where the balance lies and then you come out with the truth. The truth is the women were not supposed to uh, exert authority or teach definitively to usurp the authority of man. That is, that's scripture. But the scripture also says that any sister praying or prophesying with her head uncovered dishonors her head. This means how, she, uh, how could she dishonor her head if she didn't pray or prophesy? And, and no one can say that that's, per, that's private. You don't prophesy to yourself. Right? So you see there's a balance. There's a balance. So, so uh, by the Lord's mercy, all the sisters are included. But there was a time in our experience when the brothers just said, okay, Okay, now, now we have to tell everybody the light has come to an extent that sisters can now function in the meetings Amen. by speaking uh, along these lines, and they would share and they share this. Do you think they all just jumped up and started speaking right away? No, no, no. Took a long time to shed all of the religion, all of the tradition. Oh. It took so long to shed it. You see? You know what we're doing these days? We're just shedding. <laughs> we're shedding everything that uh, does not, what, accurately match the pure word of the Bible. See, we're shedding things. Just shedding. That's, that's, pioneers do that. They just go out and they, they, uh, they explore. They discover uncharted territory. You see, they map it out. And they make it available to anybody that comes behind them to have an easier road, you see. And this is our case. This is what we feel is the burden 
you see, of the Church of Philadelphia that is a line that we want to be on. That's right. And that is to pioneer to come all the way back to what? The pure revelation. Then uh, when that happens, the Lord has a chance. This church here, Philadelphia, will bring the Lord back. The, the, only, the only words given in any of these epistles is the one to Philadelphia that if they would hold fast, then the Lord said, I come quickly. And so Philadelphia is the bride of Christ that he is stirred up to come back to and to uh, uh, marry and inaugurate his kingdom uh, for his thousand-year reign. And this is set off by the preparation of the bride, which is mostly Philadelphia. Mostly Philadelphia. The reason I say mostly is because every epistle has a call at the end of it, all seven, and that is, he who overcomes, I will give him a, and it says various things, but all of it is a reward right. in the coming kingdom age of Amen. a thousand years. Amen. So Philadelphia is what brings the Lord back, but there are overcomers in every state and they will join the, the church of brotherly love, Philadelphia, and this will be the Lord's bride. Okay, I hope you get this concept. Don't don't be so narrow. Don't say, well, uh, what is Philadelphia, and are we Philadelphia? And if we are Philadelphia, then uh, that excludes everybody else. The Lord is just not so. He's not so. Uh, when it comes to people, he's not so narrow. Not so black and white. He's got a lot bigger heart. Don't don't be so dogmatic. When it comes to truth about Christ, that's different. It is black or white. That's right. But when it comes to the expression of His love and how He brings people to Himself, don't, don't, don't be very careful here, okay? Let everybody aspire to be part of Philadelphia. You see, stir everybody up to be part of Philadelphia. Uh, this is what we we are really burdened for, and, and in all honesty, uh, it is hard to go places and find people who are really laboring to get into this kind of uh, number one concept and number two experience that they would be Philadelphia that would hasten the day of God. See, to hasten it means you can participate in making it come faster. So, uh, <clears throat> if we don't have a heart for Philadelphia to arrive, for the bride to be prepared, for the church to be made glorious, for there to be something on this earth corporately that the Lord can say, see, Satan, I did it. <laughs> maybe, you, maybe you got the majority. That's okay. But see, I got out of, out of your damage, even your advantage, I still got some loving ones That's who right. voluntarily, of their own heart's desire, Amen. they were faithful to be what was in, on my heart forever. And they did it. And now look at that. Satan will be dumbfounded to utter a word. Then... He knows at that time, that's it for him. See, the Lord will come back, destroy him with the breath of his mouth, chain him, throw him into the abyss, cover it over, seal it for a thousand years, and this earth will enjoy the kingdom Amen. of God and of his Christ. Amen. For a thousand years, good enough, good enough. 
then after you get warmed up uh, in that kingdom, then you'll enter into the new heaven and the new earth with the new Jerusalem for eternity. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, when we have our next college conference there in College Station for the Saints from College Station, this is what we hope to do. We will just spend the entire time. It may take two conferences. I don't know because there's two chapters. But I, I personally, I'd like I want to go through every verse Amen. in those two chapters, if not every phrase, at least every verse, and show all the aspects of eternity future. Amen. Every aspect. People, all, everybody wants to know about heaven. No one knows about heaven. Everybody guesses. What, what, what's there? Is it a mansion? Is it a, is, are the streets really gold? Uh, is, there, is there some kind of fountain of youth? Uh, do you get to do what you never got to do on earth? Is that where you finally get to indulge yourself? You know, will it be an eternal football game? <laughs> No, I, I heard this in a revival meeting one time. I heard this in a revival meeting. Somebody was a young, young preacher. said, I don't know what heaven's going to be like, but I, you'll love it. You know? I don't know. Maybe you like football. Maybe they, maybe you'll play football there. <laughs> See? And uh, I, I was 18 years old, and I said, I like that. <laughs> Isn't this sad? Sad. Sad, but you know what? If you're 18 years old, like some of you are 18 and between 18 and, say, 25, uh, there's a lot, it's a lot of uh, candy handed out. What would you like? You would like what a kind of... Uh, eternity is not like that. There's a throne. There's a lamb. There's a light. Right? There's God in Christ flowing as the river of living water. There's a vine. There's a tree of life. And all the precious materials representing the saints who have been transformed into the image of Christ. And you'll enjoy Him in a way that if we even start to describe it, we'll miss. Okay. So anyway, come to College Station uh, next uh, spring, and you'll get your first. Maybe we can condense it all. I don't know. I don't know. If we do that, then it'll be another marathon. You know, right. uh, I, I'd like to take a look a little more slowly and savor it. Yeah. You know, but we'll see. We'll see. Amen. Uh, <laughs> I don't control those things. College Station, they dictate everything that should be done. And there's just no control whatsoever. Just do whatever they say. Okay, now, if you've got this much uh, in your mind, I think we're safe to come to Laodicea and spend some time here today. Now, uh, for those of you that are, this is your first time to come, I need to explain this. Uh, first of all, let me ask a question. Can everybody here, can everybody here, you're in a place to hear, good. The acoustics are working. Everybody is in a location to hear. Even if I turn my back and look at the board, can everybody hear me now? Yeah. Good. Okay, all the speakers are working. Very good. Okay, now. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Tim. Does everybody have an outline of Laodicea? Are we short of an outline anywhere? Because you have to, you got to have an outline to know uh, the good guys from the bad guys. You have to have a program. Okay. (laughs) 
Now, okay, now, let me have your attention, okay, while they're doing that, we can still go on. Yeah. Uh, what I'd like to point out is this, is that uh, in going through this, there are some things that we'll spend less time on, and some things we'll kind of camp a little longer on. So don't say, well, we're only right here, we'll never make it. Uh, it doesn't work like that, okay? Uh, uh, whatever, I mean, we'll even we'll cut out a section if we run out of time. That, we'll just do it according to, in, in this case, according to my burden, I guess, okay? And so we'll do it that way. Now, uh, not, uh, we will go over every word of this epistle. Okay, but we won't have the chance to go over in the same amount of detail. Now, uh, having said that, I think the best thing to do would be, could we all, first of all, read the epistle that we have written out for you up here in Revelation 3, 14 through 22. Okay, all together. this morning while you're freshest. That's, right. That's the way we set it up. Then after lunch we have a long break and we convene for an afternoon meeting at 4. By that time uh, we'll conclude Laodicea. We'll conclude it. Okay, before supper. Then after supper, by this time, no one is sharing anything but me. I'm just talking, hogging everything, doing, uh, you know, 
just making you into a laity person. That's all I'm doing. But when tonight comes, then it's just reverse, you see. Then after you get all that you can uh, uh, hold, that's the time tonight after supper when we really have, I feel, the best time. That's when you get to share the overflow of all of these points, what you enjoyed. By the time everybody shares what they enjoyed, uh, usually that almost doubles what we get out of the day. So, so that's the way we'll do it. It's a little unorthodox, but it, I don't think it'll work. We've tried it other ways, but it probably works better this way. Now, uh, let's go on to uh, Roman numeral one. And to the messenger of the church in Laodicea write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This is the description of the speaker to, uh, or the speaker of the one who speaks to this church in Laodicea, and that speaker is Christ. And he is listed here as three things, with one of the things being in two aspects. He's the amen, right? Right. He's the, he, is, he is called the amen. Yeah. Okay, capital A. This is, one, this is one of his many, many, many names in the New Testament. He is the amen. Then he's the, he's two things. He's the faithful and true witness. The witness has two aspects, faithfulness and, and trueness. Okay? Then he's also the beginning of the creation of God. This this threefold person or three aspect uh, type person is speaking here to the church in Laodicea, and he's not revealing himself in the ways he did in the, to the other churches. He is he is uh, really targeting the church in Laodicea, so he calls himself uh, this right here now. As we've already explained, the church in Laodicea is, we can say, the church that is fallen, degraded. Fallen from where? Philadelphia was on the line. But Philadelphia had a history that from their lofty perch, somewhere, say about right here, the majority, the vast majority fell and got on this line right here. You see, when God comes back, He will only see that you are in one of four different ways of following Him. You are either in the Thyatira way, you are, you are in the Sardis way, you are in the uh, Philadelphia way, or you are in the Laodicea way. Now, you can say, well, I'm in what, what, what? That's right. And it would seem like it doesn't fit on these lines, but actually it's like a family tree, you see. Uh, here's a branch and here's a branch, and, and here you are right here, but the roots go all the way back to this line right here. You see, same with all of them. So you, there really are only four places that you fit. All of humanity, according to the Word of God, does fit into one of these categories, whether directly, mainline, or they are a relative, a third cousin or whatever, but they do fit into one of these lines. Laodicea, on the other hand, is Philadelphia, but it is Philadelphia that went to the height and then came down to the depth. And so Laodicea is a warning that Philadelphia is not a line that you can get on and assume anything. You have to get on the line and and, uh, and be very, very careful because it is easier to fall off of the line of Philadelphia and miss being the bride than it is to, to uh, do anything else that we read about in these epistles. The easiest thing to do is to fall 
fall away from Philadelphia. And that's why the Lord saw this and he put Laodicea in here as a warning, very much like a warning. It's like, it is like a safety net. Yeah. You see, a safety net is not supposed to be used. It's really gets you nervous if it's used. Right. But it, it, it's more nervous if it's not there. Right. You, you, it needs to be there. If you fall, you need to hit the net. This means you don't kill yourself. This means as long as you hit the net, you can say, I fell from a height. I'm supposed to be up there, but I'm laying in the, on the net. You see, I need to get back up there. You see, this is this is Laodicea. Laodicea is, a, is God's mercy so that you can, what, repent. Here it says, be zealous. It doesn't even say repent. It says, be zealous and repent. You see. So Laodicea is here to say, get back. Wherever you are, get back, okay? It doesn't matter where you are, Kevin. Maybe you're on Philadelphia. But if you ever if you ever find yourself laying flat on your back looking up at Philadelphia, you need to get back. Okay? Read Laodicea, be zealous and repent. Otherwise otherwise you become something that is not pleasant. You become, instead of something treasurable, desirable, want the Lord really wanting that, you become something that He cannot take in His, in his system, and He will have to spew it out. Yeah. Okay, so Laodicea is here, and I do agree with Neil's point. I'm glad he, I'm glad he emphasized it. Laodicea is not just so we'll understand some history. Laodicea right. is to warn God's people. Mm-hmm. Do whatever you have to do right. to get on to Philadelphia and stay there. Right. The harshest judgment in these epistles is given to Laodicea. Okay. Uh, and... I think by now uh, we could say this way. I'd like to mention one little point here, and that is Laodicea means, uh, just like we've gone over all the things, I think you can see there, what does it mean on that chart? What does it say? Opinion of of the people. Okay. I would like to just dwell on this for a minute because it's very enlightening. Do you know the opinion of the people is what sank? Philadelphia into Laodicea. The, the opinion. You can say what happened here. <laughs> okay. Let me tell you. Let me give you. Let me give you the, my best understanding of what happened. Okay. Number one, if you if you know the history of the Brethren movement, you know that the beginning years, for however many that was, there are conflicting opinions as to how long that time endured. And I told you last time, in my opinion, it was shorter than most historians give it credit for. I, I the, the problems came out much earlier and uh, so forth. But anyway, after a while, they began to have doctrinal problems. You know why they had doctrinal problems? They read the Bible all the time. And in the early years, that reading brought out so much light about Christ and the corporate experience. They are the inventors, really, of the corporate experience of the body of Christ. They really are the inventors, not us. Even though we stress it so much, we didn't invent it. That's right. We, we did, we, we did uh, just take the, the uh, step to stand on their shoulders. That's what we did. That's right. And we, of course, our corporate experience is much different, and uh, in, in honesty, is much higher. 
But let's face it, if we had been back then, I don't know if we could have done at, uh, at all any better than they did. They really accomplished something. And if that line would have continued, they, they would have been the ones to bring the Lord back. I believe that. I, and uh, there are just a lot of people that will confirm that theory, okay? Uh, anyway, uh, uh, when the, when the problems came is when they began to read the Bible and they not only saw the truth about Christ, but they began to see the truth about everything the Bible spoke about. And then the, the, these guys, I mean, they got the upper echelons of the uh, English-speaking people. I mean, the real scholars of the day. Uh, they just flooded into the, the Brethren movement. And so a lot of them, they wrote, they wrote Old Testament prophecy, Old Testament typology, New Testament expositions. They just wrote volume. If you've ever been into a Brethren bookstore, you know, they only sell their own books, right? And so you go in there, you just, it is volumes. You just wall to wall and, I mean, sets. I mean, they, some people just devoted their whole life to writing. And so they have a lot. I, I, uh, anyway, I've read enough of them to know their writing is very, very good. But, but as they got into things, they were not they were they were not checked or regulated that clearly by just emphasizing Christ. Gradually, they, the focus just became blurred and generalized. And, and, and truth was treated in ways that did not emphasize the preeminence of Christ. Okay, now this didn't happen overnight, but slowly you could see that the majority of the brethren people uh, began to really think uh, they begin to have so much confidence in their understanding of scriptures, which no one else even tried to tackle the understanding of, that they had they knew the truth about nearly everything they thought. Okay. Right here is when the whole the whole problem started. You see, if you keep Christ strongly, preeminently, then you can have all the doctrines you want as long as you hold them in a position that is secondary or subservient to the clear uh, you know, emphasis or focus on Christ. Then, then, you're, then, the, then you're safe with doctrines. But if you let them rival, if you let them get to a, a level of rivaling the, you know, just the pure and simple focus on Christ and the experience of Christ, then you bring in another realm. You know what you bring in? Different interpretations and feelings about the hundreds and hundreds of minor doctrines of the New Testament. I don't mean a few. I mean hundreds. You, it's hard to read a verse and not come have some concept about it. And when you multiply that by thousands of people, you get different concepts. And finally, they split. Their oneness that they saw so clearly was punctured. 
and they split. And they split into two camps. One was headed by a great scholar named Darby. The other was headed by another great scholar named Benjamin Newton. They split. And they split because they had two different uh, views about how to practice a church life. Well, they, uh, among other things, okay, there was some, some things that to this day is still not clear. Yeah. It's still not clear. The allegations have still fly back and forth on who believed what and was it heresy or was it not. It never got resolved. Why? Because they, they, they left the beginning. So you know what came in after that? Opinions. You would not, I cannot, once the, once the walls came down that you could have, that it was fair game to go after something other than Christ. Once that wall came down, the opinions flooded in. It was just like a, the bursting of a dam. Opinions. See, you say, well, well, is it good to have an opinion? Now, I ask you, is it good to have an opinion or is it not good to have an opinion? If you say yes, I'll say no. If you say no, I'll say yes. See, I, 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 just, I just want to impress you that whether you have an opinion or not and should have an opinion or not depends on what it's about and in what position do you keep it. Okay, now if it's an opinion about Christ and the preeminence of Christ to fulfill his purpose, that is something you should be highly opinionated about. To the point that if somebody says something different than the pure revelation of the Bible, you say, sorry, I can't take that and I will not take that. That is against the revelation of Christ. Do you follow me? You should have an opinion about that. That's the faith. But if we come to, should we allow sisters to speak in the meeting or not, which was an issue at that time, minor one, then it is okay to have an opinion as long as it's just your opinion and you don't try to wipe somebody else out with it. Right. And you don't make an issue about it. And it's subservient to the truth about Christ. You follow what I'm saying? If you can just hold it loosely and flexibly, don't you think it's okay to have an opinion? I have an opinion. I have an opinion about a lot of things. Uh, I would say I have an opinion about everything. Okay, don't you? Don't say, oh, I don't have any opinions. If, you're, if you don't have any opinions, you're not a person. The, an opinion is the expression of the self. So you're not a person. But whether or not you are in the bad self and you have an opinion that will be damaging to God's church depends on whether it's under the control of the spirit or of the flesh. That's why you have to major and be steadfast on that concerning Christ. And you have to be very, very uh, flexible, open, lenient, tolerant, loving, forbearing, etc. over all other things. Read Romans 14 and look at the latitude God gives His believers and His exhortation to receive one another uh, regardless of their minor opinions. Right. This does not relate to Christ right. in His person and work, but it relates to eating herbs, eating meat, one day being better than another or less than... Things like that. There are, there are doctrinal clarity in the New Testament. Do you believe every day is exactly the same? Do you believe you, that it's wrong to eat meat? 
No, it's not. Paul says everything is good for food as long as you take it with uh, with uh, prayer and thanksgiving. Right? It's sanctified. So that, that leaves all the vegetarians wrong. It doesn't leave them wrong, but it leaves them wrong if they insist that you can't eat meat. Right? That leaves them wrong. But if they like to do it for health reasons, that's okay. But if they like to make a religious issue that God doesn't like to... I mean, God would never want you to partake of something that was murdered. That's an animal. Then you're wrong. You're wrong. The Bible doesn't teach that. Paul does not teach that. But if you make an issue of that, then you are somebody... You're somebody not holding the head. You're somebody holding the tail. <laughs> you are. You're holding the tail. You think you have, you, you're the blind person throwing darts at the donkey, and you think you hit the head, but you hit the tail. You see, this is today's situation. Why do we have denominations? you know why? Because you have Christ and you have other things ranking right up there. You say, well, we believe this, but you also cannot have music. Right? That is instrumental music. You can have this, but you also have to have baptism in our water. You see? Do you think God really cares what water you got baptized in? Think about it. Think about it. Really? Read the New Testament. Do you think you think the Ethiopian eunuch who 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 he himself said, Here's water, I'm gonna get baptized, you can stick around or not. I mean that was his whole attitude. Don't, if Philip would have said, I have to go now, you don't think the Ethiopian eunuch would have gone and jumped in the water? He would have surely he would have in the desert. Was this wrong or not? You see? Jesus baptized at the Jordan River. Do you need to go to the Jordan River to make it official? <laughs> I used to live in Waco, Texas, and one of the brothers got so got so burdened to get baptized. He after work one day, he went out to the lake and uh I think there was a little pier there or something. So he went out and he just jumped in the water. All by him, there wasn't a soul on earth. He just felt he needed to get totally immersed into God and be through with the old man. And he says, he, he said, because I, I remember him testifying, he says, I did it and I held my nose and I stayed under that water until I could not stay another second. He said, I wanted to get as thoroughly bad. I mean, this is, this is how desperate this guy was. And there wasn't anybody around. Nobody with gowns or clergy or anybody. No one said, uh, we baptize thee in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. No one said, you know, they didn't quote anything. He just jumped off the pier and held his breath as long as he could. Now, do you, you, you tell me, do you think his baptism was acknowledged by the heavens? Amen. You think so? Then you, you, now then you let me uh, go the reverse. Let's have a real ornate setting with some very official, uh, very uh, sanctioned type with the proper people, somebody ordained by the clergy to do this. And, uh, and it's all done in, uh, in, in the full uh, regalia of some kind of, of lavish setting, and they're baptized. Now, do you think God really is real happy? Think about it. 
maybe that person is really serious. Otherwise, on the other hand, maybe it's just part of the tradition. If it's part of the tradition, it's just about the same as if he went to a Barton Creek and jumped in off the high dive and went swimming. Face it. Face a fact. Okay? Opinions. Opinions. You don't think... But you didn't. You could not join the church. You had to be rebaptized to be accepted. Yeah. Rebaptized to be accepted as a member of the body of Christ. Huh. Just, just listen. This you can say. Oh, that's safety. I would say. I would say that's an insult. That's an insult to God's prior. Uh, work in a person. You can say, well, we have to be... Whatever you say, anyway, the heavens won't, won't agree with you. Because it's not pure. It's not the pure t- truth. Okay? But it, look, it became an issue. It's an issue. You see? You just can't be a member of the body of Christ. You have to fulfill certain things. Some of them make you sign pledges. You have to do this. You have to donate certain percent of your money, and that's the way we do it in this particular denomination. Do you understand me? Okay. So you see it's there. These things are ranking with Christ, and that is where the opinions come in. As long as you and I, if we come from whatever background, can just say, what about Christ, Jeffrey? And what about Christ, Don? Then we got it, don't we? That's right. But if you say, what about this? And I say, what about that? Then we've got a wall, don't we? That's right. But if we just say, Christ, Christ, some aspect of Christ, some, some kind of... Uh, you know, view of Christ, some kind of thing of Christ, of His person, of His work, of His glory, something of Christ. See, something from His Word that would emphasize Christ. Aren't we in a blissful state? Amen. If you will expand this into the total corporate setting, that's the church. Amen. That's all. That's, that's, that's the simplicity of it. That's the church. But the opinion of the people came in here, and Laodicea was just full of what? Strong opinions about secondary and tertiary matters. No no discrimination at all between the vital pulse of the Bible and that which is should be held uh, flexible and, to- and, and, and in a tolerant way. You see, all of us are guilty of being dogmatic. Oh yeah, all of us are guilty. Philadelphia is not dogmatic no. about teaching, but it's dogmatic about Christ. Hey, Laodicea amen. is dogmatic about teaching and opinions. I think you see it. Now, if you understand that, then the first uh, Roman numeral A, we can just cover almost as one. Christ here is is uh, revealed as the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. Do you see now, uh, with this background, do you see why? He's the Amen. 
Okay, now this is my point. Can you, I mean, does your spirit rise up to say amen to an opinion no. about some secondary, obscure, rather obscure matter in the Bible? Does your spirit rise up to say amen? We should or should not wash feet in the church. Do you say amen to yes for the foot washing? Amen, no for the foot washing. Yes, amen. It's only an allegory. Wow. No, it's the uh, it's it's for a literal practice. There's this great debate yeah. if you're in that realm. You know, the Church of Christ and the Christian Church used to be the same before they split. One of the factors was foot washing. You know what? There's no amen to that stuff. No. Christ is the amen to what? To himself. Amen. He is depicted here as the amen. That's his name. Amen. That's who he is. So the amen that responds in us is to a person. It is not to a thing, an issue, a problem, a doctrine, whatever. He is the amen. You see? And he's a faithful and true witness. You know what? Laodicea was not being faithful and true to what? To the person and work of Christ. So they needed the one who was faithful. You know what? You know what Christ did? He was the faithful and true witness to what? To God the Father. He his life was not to come down and bring a new set of doctrines. His life was to come down and express who and what God the Father was. And he was faithful and true to that for 33 and a half years without even one slight miscue. Laodicea was not faithful to do this with Christ. Do you follow me? See, being the amen here is significant because they were not in a position to respond because by this time they had left the pure Christ and fell off the line of Philadelphia and hopefully through this epistle the Lord wanted them to re be zealous and repent and jump back up on the line of the pure Christ to, to build a church. Amen. Okay? And the same with the beginning of the creation of God. Don't you see the word, the beginning here, how critical it is? The creation of God is what? It's this new thing called the body of Christ, called the church of the living God. Call the one new man. Call the bride of Christ. Uh, there is a new race of people who are regenerated and born of the life of God who will eventually be totally conformed to Him and be uh, totally saturated with Him for eternity in the new Jerusalem. This is the creation of God. This is not the creation of, of the earth. This is the creation of God. The church is the creation of God which will consummate in the New Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. You see? And the beginning of that is what? The experience of Christ. Initially, that is the beginning. He is the beginning of this creation. Okay, so do you see the significance of His name here? It's like Laodicea. Your big problem is really simplified by just saying, you have left the beginning. Do you follow? Yeah. You know what the beginning of the creation of God is? You know what the beginning of the experience is? You know what the beginning of the church is? It is to have a simple experience of reality. That's Christ. That's the beginning of the creation of God. 
Okay, if you have this, that's great. Let me tell you something. If you look at this, you could say, well, uh, <clears throat> this seems very, very uh, elementary. I agree. It's almost like it's almost like we're we're uh, talking. I mean, you could be fifth graders, and I'm preaching the gospel to you or something. Okay, that the beginning is you have an experience of Christ. You know what? In in Sardis here, when they protested. In, the, in many of these places, there, there's hundreds of them, so, but in many of them, you can have the, the initial experience of Christ. I did. You can do it, you see. But after that, after, after that, the beginning becomes the beginning, and then you go on to other things, such as doctrinal matters, secondary matters, uh, all kind of things, okay? But the beginning, uh, let's put it this way. You have to have this concept or there can never be the church. You have to have this concept. The beginning of the experience of Christ. You have had at least the beginning, the initial experience of Christ. Am I right? Yes. You have have touched the Lord Jesus initially. The way you stay Philadelphia and prevent the fall into Laodicea is not that you leave the beginning, but that you expand the beginning. The difference is right here. They left the beginning, and Philadelphia expanded the beginning. You take your initial experience of Christ, and you expand it. You add to it. You don't leave it. It just becomes bigger, larger, more, more all-encompassing. You see, it just gets larger all the time. That is the normal thing, you see, to expand the beginning. It's like math. You see, uh, y'all are y'all are college students. Uh, some of you are in uh, graduate programs, and uh, some of you are in more liberal arts things. But most of you, uh, due to the economy today, y'all are really pretty high tech people. Meaning, math is a big thing, yeah. right? So, you, if you're a computer science scientist, math's a big deal. If you're an, an engineer, math's a big deal. Counting, all all this business, everything, math is a big deal. Right? Ask Tim C. He knows. He math's a big deal. See, in in the uh, in the coordination in Austin, he's our mathematician. <laughs> he has a he has a rare function. See, I, I've had I've had I've had umpteen brilliant ideas. Of you know we're responsible for the finances of the church, right? So I've had umpteen brilliant ideas of how to you know uh, stretch the dollar and get more you know uh, you know this kind of thing. Okay, uh, all kind of things. I mean, uh, I still have I, I go to sleep at night these things floating in my head, and, I, and I, I get this revelation. You know, I mean, I don't mean spiritual revelation. I mean you know. <laughs> I really, I really get a, I really get a great insight, you know, and and, I, and it never fails. And Tim, Tim would, uh, since Tim here, he knows I'm not lying. So I come and I said, this, you know, this, if we do it this way, this will save us this. And and uh, Gary, uh, he said he's really, he's really, he thinks that's great. See, he's liberal arts major. <laughs> 
it never fit. Tim sits there, Tim, Tim sits there, and there's no amen. <laughs> I don't mean, there's not even a secular amen. <laughs> And, and uh, we have, the, we have a, a blackboard, and he sits right in front of the blackboard uh, nearly every time we meet. He sits right there. So he just turns around, and he starts writing these figures on the board and <laughs> multiplying and dividing and all this. And, and, and after he says, and, I, and, and we're lost. We, the rest of them are lost. And he says, well, I, I, I said, we say, Tim, you, there's something you don't agree with, right? He says, well, that's right. And, and he shows this and that and so forth. And fi- so finally, through through his calculations, and I mean some of them are, you know, take the whole blackboard, he shows us that our concept will not work out mathematically and, and, and it, the way we thought it would. You know, it has to do with interest rates and all. I mean, so many, and, and years and terms, and I mean, it, it just, it won't work we actually would lose X dollars. And, you know, that, that, that wounds your pride. <laughs> but he's never lost yet. But there's hope. I'm going to get him one of these days. I'm going to get him. See? But it's like math. But let me tell you what. You know what? Some of y'all are very advanced in math. Neil, you're, you're a mathematician, right? You have a master's in math? Uh, teaching certificate now. 26 hours. Okay. Can you come up here? Well, uh, can, you, can you come up here and, and write out a rather elaborate equation? Could you? Using, using numbers, X's, Y's, Z's, dots, figures. Or, I, could, I can do it, but, it would, but I, I'm not as good as you. Can you do an elaborate equation? Ten years ago, I could. Well, I'll do it. Okay, okay. Let's say an equation uh, reads something like this. Okay. Uh, here's, here's 10 to the second power times... Uh, X2 plus Y2 or minus uh, 0.86 equals. And, and, uh, and you, run it, then you run, it, run it along this line, okay, as an equation. Greater than or equal to. Okay. You see? I mean, th- there are things. I mean, I, I, I see these formulas, you know, and they have little lines like that. I never have figured out what that is. <laughs> and you know, for the, for letters, they use Greek things, you know, lambda, rho, uh, you know, things like sigma, things like... This is crazy. It's crazy. I, I know, I mean, I, I, I took Greek. I, I know, the, I, at least I recognize the Greek letters. Okay, I said, what are the Greek letters doing in math? <laughs> but you see, all, all these kind of things. And calculus is the biggest puzzle. When I look at the calculus problem, because I never took calculus, I just, I'm lost. <coughs> okay, but you know what this is? Let me tell you something. This is the expansion 
of addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Every advanced mathematical thing is based on those four things. When you reduce everything, you finally come back to... You, the way you work these things out is either it's through these initial things that you learned in elementary school. If you don't know your multiplication tables, it doesn't matter if you understand all this. You can't solve it. Do you understand? The basis, the basis is your multiplication tables. Do you, do you follow me? If you can't say what 8 times 7 is, you can't solve these problems. That's the initial experience of Christ. You learned what 2 times 2 was. You see? And now you can, you can expand that into advanced calculus and fill up a whole page with one problem. You can do it, but it's all based on 2 times 2 is 4. That's right. Am I right? That's what I mean. The experience of Christ is like that. You may have a tremendous experience of Christ, but it is still based on the beginning of the creation of God. Amen. See? You never leave that. You just enlarge it. You just expand it. That's the key. That's the secret. When we go through the Bible, we don't leave Christ. We don't say, well, here's something else. Well, here's something else. Here's prophecy. Here's, I mean, it could be a lot of things. Here's some nifty things about, you know, typology that's just fantastic. No, don't say that. You see, you may be doing some mathematics that doesn't involve the simple, basic revelation of uh, of the foundation, addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. If you can't do that, it doesn't matter. So you know all the things. So 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 what? It, it, mean, it means nothing if you can't if you can't do that. If you can't enjoy Christ, if you can't touch your spirit, it doesn't mean anything. Nothing means anything. Doesn't First Corinthians thirteen say, "If you have all knowledge." And you don't have love, it means nothing. Doesn't it say that? I mean, it doesn't say it means something, but not that much. It means nothing. See? You clear? Now, who's talking here? The amen, the true and faithful witness, the beginning of the creation of God? We'll erase this later so people will think we did something worthwhile this weekend here. Okay, okay. Roman numeral two. Oh, I could say a lot about the beginning of the creation of God, but for time's sake, I have to go on. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, that's three times it contrasts hot and cold. I am about to, uh-oh, vomit you out of my mouth. Something is really upsetting the system, the, I mean, by the chemical system of the Lord Jesus Christ, spiritually speaking. He is, he is uh, nauseated. He's fixing to throw up. I'm sorry. This word was put here by God. It's called vomit. I'm sorry. This is literal. Even you take some other versions. Whatever version you take, that word is a strong word. That's right. That's right. Okay. You get, you're, you're getting expelled. 
So this is serious. This is a serious thing. Now you see the seriousness of it all. Laodicea is it, the word of Laodicea is a serious word. Don't 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 fool around. God is not fooling around. Don't you fool around? Okay. Don't fool around. You're young. I'm telling you the truth. Yeah. Don't fool around. Right. God is serious. That's right. Because here is, look at this. He he says, hot or cold, or you're you're in trouble. And this is not a little trouble. He's fixing to give you an expulsion. That's right. Right. You're going to explode out of his being. Wow. Okay. I think I, I I think you deserve some explanations, and I'm going to say some things here that that are really, to my very best understanding, uh, and I believe they fit the context. Though, though the application of them, uh, the application of it is vast, but to stay in the context. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to view it what in in the way I think the context presents it. Then you can apply it many ways. I mean, the fact is, hot is hot and that's good, and cold is cold and that's bad. And there's another thing in here called lukewarm, and for some reason here that seems to be the worst. Okay, now give me just a minute. Okay, first of all, let's assume that uh, down here, right here, this is cold. Okay. C-O-L-D. This situation right here is cold. And then let's say this situation right here is hot. So here you are headed toward being hot. What happens if you're caught right there? Just think about it. Think about it. What if you're caught right there? Are you going to get vomited out okay let's let's say you went you're an unbeliever even or you're so far removed from the Lord that you are frigid but you start to pursue the Lord and you go like this in a way that I will call progress See, every day you just make a little progress. Would you say that's good? Yes. I think it's good. I think it's good. Okay. Now, let's do it again. Same thing. Cold. Hot. You made it. That's, that's really good, right? Yeah. But here's here is the context of Laodicea. This is Philadelphia. And you went here. And this is lukewarm. And this to the Lord is worse than this. Can you follow that? Yep. (laughs) 
Have you ever considered it? Wine is worse. It doesn't seem worse, does it? I mean, logically, it doesn't seem worse. Anything that has some heat to it should be better than being cold, but here it's not. So we have to offer some explanation, don't we? See, okay, let me just put it this way. If you look at it this way, and the Lord says here, He's going to vomit you out of His mouth, then we have to say that there's a fall from Philadelphia to Laodicea. Lukewarm would equal, would equal Laodicea. Because he says, you are lukewarm. This means they are Laodicea. That equals Laodicea. Okay, what does this show us? This shows us, number one, that at one time you were you were you had such a high satisfactory ex- experience of Christ. This means that the Lord went to such an extreme extent to show you His mercy and His grace and all of His riches that you got to that place. But you disregarded it and fell down after He, if I could say this, spiritually speaking, went to so much trouble to get you to that place. But you didn't regard it as a, you know, a a precious thing. And so you came back to the halfway point. And this shows that uh, it's a fulfillment of the Scripture. To whom much is given, much shall be required. If you've never been, if you never got to that point, you would be. It would be different. If you were, if you were basically the same over here, but you were on your way up, that's different. But you're over here, and you've already passed that point, and you're on your way down. This to Lord, this to the Lord is serious. He said, "I wish you were cold or hot." Why? Because the extent is is great. He went to great extremes to bring us to the height. Number two, this here is Philadelphia, and this fulfills his purpose. And and more than anything, the reason he dispenses the riches of himself is so that he can fulfill his purpose. And he is here on the verge of getting his purpose in man, and suddenly something comes in, throws a wrench into the works, and the whole thing breaks down. And his purpose is frustrated because the pure experience of Christ is left and a, a, a mediocrity is set in. He's not coming back to a, to a mediocre church. He's coming back to a glorious church. And so this shows the value he places on the fulfillment of his purpose. Not only the extent of his labor on a, on a person but the value of His purpose being worked out, which is a glorious church, full of Himself being all. Therefore, since since His mercy and grace is not appreciated fully, and uh, after He's done so much, and His his purpose is frustrated based on that, you can see uh, He is is an upset person. I think this is fair. I think it's fair. 
then you could apply it personally. You can say, well, I made it to right here. I'm going upward. I made it to right here. But you can go upward to right here and then suddenly from this point go downward. If you do that, you're in the same principle as over here on a personal basis. You see? So we must... <laughs> We must be careful. I have to exercise. No, you have to exercise. That's right. I have to exercise. I think we could say this way. Uh, it's hard to get, uh, not hard, it's, it's laborious to climb the spiritual mountain. Because it's uphill, but it's easy to roll down. Okay, so we have to be on the alert. Okay. I think you see it. Uh, if you if you can catch this now, I, uh, because the word vomit is used here, literally a vomit, a regurgitation, a spewing out. Uh, I don't think anybody here would misunderstand the uh, meaning of the Lord. He's he's disgusted. He is disgusted. That's right. But he is not casting off his people or any of his. Uh, any one of his people in any kind of permanent way. This is a dispensational thing. He's trying to come back for another age for the sake of another age. So this is dispensational. Okay. You, you are not lost. You are expelled. Okay. You're not lost. This this matches the uh, the uh, word in John 15 of a branch being in the vine, where he says, "Every branch in me." That means you're definitely in Christ, right? But you don't bear fruit. He takes away. He takes away from what? From the vine. This is not a losing. This is not I'm I'm lost. This means you are disconnected from the riches of the life of the vine. See, this means you're separated from the person of Christ. You lose the enjoyment of Christ. I think you get it. Now, I'd like to mention here uh, a, few, a few things. And I would say uh, things, things that can cool you off that you better watch out for that could make you end up in a state of lukewarmness. Okay? I want to share a few things with you. Okay. Nothing can cool you off faster. In fact, you won't even be lukewarm. You'll be cold. Things can cool you off. The fastest thing that can cool you off is something that's sinful. Uh, it's amazing, but in today's liberal climate... And I mean that, I don't mean that politically, I mean Christian-wise. In the liberal climate of today, uh, it's, not, it's not the end thing to talk about sinful things. Okay, but I'm telling you, in, in, in uh, uh, you know, <laughs> woe is me if I didn't really tell the truth that sin is the, is the original thing. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about the original recipe that has separated man from God. That's right. So anything sinful cuts you off from the experience, the supply, the fellowship, and the oneness with God. You are under a kind of condemnation that must be confessed away and to be restored 
to Him through His shed blood. Okay. No, no sinful things. Okay. Say, so what are sinful things? Sinful things to a Christian are usually so obvious that it's not necessary to say much at all. When you become a Christian, usually you are involved with some things that are sinful. You can say, oh, I have never... And some people think sin is a kind of a, a few cardinal things. Yeah, it is. But it's... Uh, sin is sin. Yeah, right. Okay? <clears throat> and sin is something that is not compatible with God. And when a Christian receives the life of God, that life very quickly lets them know that certain things are not according to God and must be aban- abandoned. We don't apologize for this. This is, this is what baptism is all about. Well... Uh, sinful things must be rejected. You have to exit fast. Get out of there. Get out of sinful things, habits, conduct, even sinful environments. Get out of there. Okay. Uh, some people did this. Some people had to practice this way. Some people had certain uh, habits in certain kind of ways. Sorry, you have to jump out of that. Otherwise, you, you can't have fellowship with light and darkness. Okay, no simple thing. I, I say this. I, I, the reason is because y'all are young people and you're campus people. There is no place on planet Earth that is a greater repository of sinful choices than a college campus. It is the sinkhole of sin. Okay. Satan dug a spot here and there and all over. There's over how many universities? I heard one time of higher learning. My goodness. Oh. Was it a U.S. statistic or a worldwide? I forgot. But anyway, you, can you imagine how many colleges and universities there are? This is like Satan dug one here and dug one there. I'm not saying, you see, they're, they're very good. Uh, we... You all know we encourage everybody that can to get your degree. You know that. Okay? It is a help for many aspects of your life. But but take the education part, but don't take the hole. No. Satan dug a hole there. And he, he just... He just began to funnel sin, all kind of opportunities, all kind of temptations, all kind of situations. You see, where do you think the most prevailing immoral spots on earth are? You think it's in Hollywood? This is this nothing. There's a bunch of old people living in big mansions. There. Their morality is would be, uh, you know, at least a B compared to the campus scene. Where, where do you think? You think the bars and the nightclubs do do better than college campuses? I, I'm sorry to be so candid, but but but, and I'm sorry for you because you're a product. You came along 25 years too late. Sorry, 25 years ago, you, you, you if you walked on to a campus 25 years ago, you would wonder where is all the temptation. You would. 
30 years ago, you, you would have thought it was paradise. That's how bad, no, that's how yeah, far it's gone. That's right. you, you don't know, you, you can't know, you don't have a contrast, okay? Uh, I do. I have a contrast. Okay, I, I'm I'm not your I'm not your age. I'm twice as old as some of you here. Uh, right. You know, uh, the bad guys were still looked upon as a being a little freaky back then, even though the campus scene was a campus scene. Something, huh? You know, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, my mother is, uh, she's a very good, very good mother. <laughs> Raised, uh, you know, really worked hard to raise the kids and um, so forth. <laughs> anyway, uh, regardless of how we turned out, she, she, she really you know, worked at it, okay? <laughs> I hope she, she may get hold of this tape. She started, she li listens to tapes now. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, uh, my daughters, I had to have two daughters. One is now married and one is in high school. I told her I wouldn't use her as an illustration. Uh, okay, well, no, I'm using my mother as an illustration. That's what I'm doing. Okay. You know, she, I know she has a little concern that uh, uh, my daughter has, you know, not had a date yet. And she's almost 17. And... Uh, you know, I was in a, I was a worldly person at age 17, and uh, that was the way it was, except one big exception, and that is uh, the way it was then, uh, you know, did look like paradise compared yeah. to now. Yeah. I mean, it did. That's right. Well, uh, praise the Lord, age 18 came, and I had turned to the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, and all that nonsense ended. Okay. Uh, I can tell she has this little feeling that, you know, she. this is just a little flaw that's going to bother her, something like that. And she's not getting the full range of experience. She she was just here to visit. That's why I'm saying it. Just just happened last week. Yeah. And so I was I was saying uh, something about Lisa. I said, oh, yeah, she... she she, around us, she's a lot of fun because she has quite an exuberant personality, to say the least. <laughs> to say the least, she, it is exuberant. Okay. And so on and on. And uh, I said, you know, it's, that's really remarkable that she uh, seems to be happy. Michelle, if you say anything, I'll, I'll wring your neck. Okay. <laughs> You know, it's really it's, it's really remarkable that that, uh, that she and, and and I said she has some friends. You're one of them, Michelle. That uh, you know they they uh, you know they do their thing. I know they I know they're not angels, but think about it. None of them none of them they don't have a, they they don't date. I said, Isn't that remarkable? And she said something. I, I caught a little hint of yeah, that's really something. All right, like is she really well rounded? So I caught that, and I said, I said, Mother, uh, if you had a girl, 
that was in high school and was nearly 17, would, would you want her today? She knows what's happened. She knows the change has happened in the last That's 25 right. years. Yeah. She looked at me, no hesitation. She says, no. I said, That's it. <laughs> See? No. No. Uh, I wouldn't say if you date, you've had it. But I would say if you date, the percentages are against you that you've had it. Sorry, don't argue with me. I know the percentages. I do keep up on stuff like this. I'm talking about 70%. Okay. Sinful things are out. Okay. Just, just let you know. I hope I don't offend you. I hope I save you. I do. Okay. Uh, if you've never been down heartache lane like some people have, you you may not think, well, this is why I labor on this. But once you've seen how damage can set in, uh, it, it it shakes you to your core. Don't, don't let don't don't take a simple way. The morality today is gone. It's not going to change. It's just the days of Noah that the Lord prophesied that would be here are being fulfilled, and it is not going to improve. Say what you want to. They are not going to improve. Okay. Point number two. Things that cool. Uh, this would be. What I would like to call not contact with the world, because that's inevitable, but excessive contact with the world. You cannot come out of the world and function as a normal human being, but if you have excessive contact with it, you cross the line, you touch the death. The spirit of this world is poison to your spirit. You will be lukewarm at least and probably dead. Excessive contact. Draw a line. There is a line between responsibility and duty and a line uh, where you go beyond that. If you do, you're excessive and your spirit will pay the price and your being will suffer some consequences. You will. You'll lose your heart. You will, you will lose heart in, in many things. Okay. Three. <clears throat> things that cool you down are goals, ambitions, whatever you'd like to call them, that are a rival to Christ. Rivalry. <laughs> goals that are somewhere up in the range of having Christ Himself as your goal. Okay. Do you want something as bad as you want to pursue Christ? If so, you're, you're cool. You're cool. You're lukewarm. This, this is a, this is a uh, salty word, isn't it? But it's a true word. You know, you know I'm telling you the truth. You cannot, you cannot argue. There's nothing in you that can say that's not right. You know I'm telling you the truth. Do you think God sent His Son so that He could be one of your many goals? 
No. No, no, that's not possible. In eternity, you're going to have Christ, plus you're going to bring a lot of earthly things into eternity with you. You think you think that's the way it's going to work out? So we have to face effects. Uh, certainly, we are we prepare ourselves. We do have goals to work, to have a livelihood, to have a family. To yeah, these are all ordained of God. But there are a lot of things that are outside the scope of being a legitimate goal. Okay? And some of them are very subtle. It's almost like an excuse, you know. One time I met a brother, um, and he was uh, he wanted to be a doctor. Uh, and some brothers are doctors, and some brothers are in the process of being a doctor. And I don't doubt their motive. I really don't. In this case, this brother told me, he says, he, uh, he wanted to be a doctor so that he uh, would give him a position, a standing, where he could influence more people. Uh, this is very common among today's uh, prestigious athletes. They, they play for the glory of God kind of thing. Okay. And this would do what? This opens up doors. People listen to you. You'll have doors. You have opportunities to speak. You could say a lot of things here. Even I had some doors like this uh, when I was young. See, I got to speak some places because uh, I was what? I was not just a, a person. I played on the ball field, right? And had some success. So you are chosen above so-and-so. Not because your experience of Christ is greater, but because you're worldly, worldly-wise speaking, you're somebody. Isn't that true? Yep. Okay. Do you, do you think God would really sanction that? No. No. You get an edge because you're, uh, you want a Pulitzer Prize, so you get an edge in God's eyes. You're a doctor, you're a professional, this or that. You have some notoriety, y'all understand me, notoriety. Yeah. Some famous, yeah. some, you know, famous reputation. No. And you know what? The th Here's the concept is, I want to use everything I can do or accomplish to influence people. This word influence is, quote, quote, you know, this is a big word, right? If you are at a level. Ready, lukewarm. You have, you're not getting there. You are at least there and maybe lower. Okay. What do you think the devil all the demons, all the evil spirits, what do you think they, what, do you think they're really uh, scared and impressed and they're shaking because uh, some famous person who's accomplished something gives some kind of, quote, influential guidance to other people? Do you think this, do you think this is really something they fear? No. Influence is one thing. But the smallest brother and sister who truly experiences Christ right. and is fully one with God's New Testament economy and is fighting the battle to defeat Him within and without is not influencing people 
first of all, but he is making an, or he or she is making an impact against the kingdom of darkness. So, take your choice. Influence or impact? Impact. See, that's what it comes down to. You want to impact Satan's realm? Or you want to influence people in some kind of uh, fuzzy, ambiguous way? Think about it. Okay, so we're not hiding behind goals, and we shouldn't have goals that rival Christ, okay? Uh, another one here. <clears throat> we're going right along. We'll be, we're doing fine. Like I said, you just make it till lunch. Yeah. And, and the rest of it's a piece of cake. <laughs> you doing okay? Is everybody doing okay? Speak louder. Okay, all we need to do is turn that box a little bit toward your ears, and and we this is a high tech solution. Okay, let's see, Harbor, flip that box a little bit around this way toward me. Okay. Uh, and if 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 you don't hear so well, uh, do like the sisters did, so that we can adjust the box, or I can speak a little louder because it speaks so long I can't stay loud, and and I uh, I naturally don't do that anyway, and unless it's short unless it's a short term deal. Okay. Oh, turn the volume up. Didn't think of that. <laughs> How you doing? Can you hear me back there? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Harbor, are you awake? Good. <laughs> okay, number five. Number five. Uh, four. That's right, number four. I'll tell you what, I'd like to read a verse. Who's got uh, You got Steve. Read 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. Just listen and... Uh, Read it slowly and let the others listen carefully. Second Corinthians six, fourteen and fifteen. Do not become unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? No, that's good enough. 16 is just more of 15, really. Here's a principle that the Bible calls unequal yoking. And a yoking, of course, you know what a yoke is. Everybody knows what a yoke is. It's, it's something that binds two things together. Like in the animal uh, world, when they would yoke oxen. This yokes them together. It means they, whether they like, whether one ox likes the other or not, they have to go step. They have to step together. They're in lockstep. Okay. And here, the interpretation of unequally of being unequally yoked is mostly interpreted by people as related to marriage. And I would say, I, in my opinion, I believe that this is the thrust of that. But it should not be limited to marriage. It should not be limited. The obvious thing is marriage because there is no other human relationship that require that that uh, that exemplifies yoking like marriage does. I mean, that's the that is by far the most you know exhaustive, extensive kind. 
of relationships. So you can't be unequally yoked there. Don't don't marry don't marry uh, an unbeliever. That's what Paul's saying. Be yoked properly. Okay. However, in principle, it should apply to anybody in any situation in which you have a relationship that you do have control over. Don't be unequally yoked. Okay? If you can control it, (laughs) then take it in hand and apply this principle. Uh, For example... Uh, just in who you live with as a single student. Most of you are still single, of course. In who you live with, it's very important uh, that you are not unequally yoked. There's light, there's darkness. Okay? There's righteousness, there's lawlessness. There's Christ, there's Belial, Satan. If you've ever had to live in a situation where you wanted to maintain some sort of relationship with the Lord and were fighting for that and the other person had no heart, no desire at all, you know what a frustration it was. In these situations, one of two things happen. The Christian upgrades the unbeliever or the believer downgrades the Christian. Now, be honest. Which one happens the most? The downgrade. Not even close. It's not even close. Go out. Go out to fulfill the Lord's word in Matthew 28, 19. Go out. Go you therefore. Go. But don't live in unequal yoking. Go out and preach to those that need to be yoked. (laughs) But don't live there. You have to have a base that has good, clean, fresh air. Amen. Okay. Saints, separate yourselves from this or you, you will suffer the loss. Okay, you will. You cannot walk through the woods and take a long hike and not get anything on your shoes you will get something something I mean you, you just you'll get something they will not be in the same condition when you come back okay have you ever been so careful you had on some nice clothes and you were going to check the oil in your car you just were so careful you know it's almost like you were doing it and you know you were operating on somebody and it, nevertheless something touched something you, you got you got some black on you that's right right see this is the way it is so you, you get all this uh, stuff why because you're unequally yoked live breathe have your have your home base whatever you want to call it be in the rarefied air of the saints the whole point of this scripture is get somewhere where get somewhere where you are of kindred spirit and of the same mind with somebody that you have to live around constantly that's, that's the divine concept. Otherwise, you got trouble. Don't you know you have trouble? Some of you right now live in some trouble. I know you do. 
And I'm telling you, the first chance you get, you really? need to get out of that trouble Amen. and get yourself into a pleasant situation. Amen. Amen. You have enough. You are, you're going to have enough problems living with the saints. Think of it. The other problems are unbelievable. They're so unbelievable you don't even tackle them. You just dismiss them and hide in the library and stuff like that. You see, some people just refuse to go home. That's terrible. You should you should look forward to go home. Okay, that's unequal yoking. Then the fifth thing that will cool off. See, this, this for example, is one I was, I'm camping on. The next one I won't camp on. The fifth one is uh, that really gets young people is they have poor spiritual habits. And therefore, by neglecting just simple, basic spiritual habits, they cool off. They don't take the time, and it doesn't take great amount of a great a great amount of time. But they don't take that time to spend with the Lord, to pray, to read the Word, to have fellowship, to go to the kind of meetings that would build them up, to read the spiritual books and, and literature, to. Uh, exercise their spirit to practice walking and obeying the Lord within. They just they just uh, have poor spiritual they're not disciplined. You see. And this is a problem today. Again, I I, I have to be honest and say uh, in society as a whole, the young people have lost ground in this. I think y'all would be a uh, y'all uh, being saints and having a much higher character, y'all are just light years <laughs> ahead of people who today they don't care. They just don't care. Here's the spirit that you live in. It's a spirit, whereas whereas it used to be, say from 1960 backwards, it used to be. Ask yourself, is this your responsibility? You see, uh, I, I would say, I would say that the the habit uh, of whatever, even worldly people were like this. Is this your responsibility or not? But after 1960, somewhere along the time, the 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 whole the whole mindset of America, uh, starting from the youth on up changed and it became not is this my responsibility but do I feel like doing this will this make me happy will this promote uh, what I really like to do will this give me self-fulfillment it changed into this kind of thing now people today they go for it okay they go for what they go for that which uh, they think will bring them the ultimate in personal happiness and if they have to step on somebody's toes or neglect some things that should be their responsibility too bad the main thing is I'm happy am I right or wrong sorry you don't have such a contrast Robert you, you tell me am I right or wrong this is right, isn't it? Robert teaches in college. He, he sees a lot. Okay? This is right. If some other people, older, Robert, you're not that old, but uh, you can certainly see a, a change, can't you? 
Doug, you, how about it, Terry? Is there, a, is there a real difference from the time you were in school and the way it is now? <laughs> Doug, what about it? It's really changed, hasn't it? It's the old Ernest Hemingway thing. If it feels good, do it. Does that mean if it feels bad, neglect it? Well, that's a fine way to be. Tell that to, tell that to a mother. <laughs> just taking care of this kid is just too much trouble. It's too much trouble. Say, oh, that's a funny example. No, that's why people don't have children today. They don't want the inconvenience. That's why they get divorced. Too much trouble. You can't argue when you see it in front of you all the time and the divorce rate is 50%. One out of two. You know, when I went to school and we sat, we take, took this, this orientation test uh, to gather statistics for the university, and they said, now, we're sitting in this big auditorium. He says, look to the person, look at the person on your right. Everybody look to the right. He said, look to the person on your left. Look to the left. And he said, one of those two people will not graduate. I was shocked. I mean, you know, everybody graduates. That's what I thought. I mean, you know, I knew, well, not everybody, but nearly everybody graduates. And they said 50%. I don't know what today's percent is. If you would have said then, look on your right, look on your left, one of these people will be divorced and one will stay married, I would have fallen out of my chair. That's right. Anyway, st statistics are scientific, so it's the way it goes. Okay, sinful things, excessive contact with the world, goals that are ranked or rival Christ, unequally yoked with various people or things, and poor spiritual habits that are not based on responsibility. These are the things that are prevailing out there and that really cool people off into lukewarmness. Uh, I know this is not a good word, but actually this is the strongest word in this epistle is the Lord's vomiting. So you can't just brush it off. Right? Okay. You're doing great. You don't have long to go and you'll have made it because you say well Oh, I can tell you right now, the best part's going to be at 4 o'clock. I can tell you that. Absolutely the best part's at 4 o'clock. Because you say, I am rich and have become rich and have need of nothing. Right here, you have a continuation of lukewarmness. This is their state. I'm rich and have become rich. In other words, they are lukewarm because of... There's a reason they are lukewarm. What, what is their reason? We can put in one word. They're what? That's right. They're proud. I. It doesn't say. It doesn't say. Oh, the Lord Jesus is so great and so wonderful. It says I have become rich. I. This is a big I here. Don't you think that I kind of stands out as a pretty big uh, word here? I. Where in the Where in the world in the Bible does it say anything good about the I? 
Because you say, I, you say, you say, not God said. That's right. You know, Paul says, I, I will say nothing against myself. I will not call it. In other words, it's not up to me to say a thing. Does a potter, does a clay have power over the potter? Don't say anything. Paul Paul's pretty strong about the fact that you don't have grounds to say a thing, right? Let God be true and let everybody else be a liar, right? Don't say a word. Bow your knee to God's authoritative word and shut up. Shut up. Shut up. You say, oh. If you have a, if this bothers you, this just shows you how this age has sinked in to your mentality. It's prevailing. I know it is. Sometimes I even sometimes I even get a thought like this that uh, I'm not even in the college scene, but it's out there. It's not only there; it's it's just prevailing. That's right. Don't touch me. I am the most. Uh, I have my own rights, my own independence, my own this, my own that. Don't tell me what I this and that. Don't tell me anything about the Bible. The Bible is just a book. Do you think, are you so narrow only to go by one book? See? <laughs> it's out there. This liberal, independent, it's actually, it, to, to really describe it, it's the rebellious spirit of this age against God. Well, they're rich and they have need of nothing. I would say when you can say I have need of nothing, you are at, you are then at the bottom. And that's that's ex, that's exemplified by the very next phrase, number four. And, and because the the answer to that arrogant statement is, you do not know that you are. Listen, listen to these five adjectives: wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You had, look look at the difference between what a what a human being thought about themselves spiritually. This is not unbelievers yeah. spiritually, and what God thought about them spiritually. Huh. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Can you but look at the difference? When you leave Philadelphia, I, I'm telling you this. I'm telling you the truth. I have seen people walk out the door of Philadelphia, and I, I, I don't mean literally, but they left Philadelphia. They just said, I'm going to do something else. They, and I have said this before. When you walk out that door, that is, when you get off that line, you walk right out and you walk into darkness. You walk right into this. I know what I'm talking about. I've seen it. I've seen it. And they think they, think they know something, and they think they're right. And they think a lot of things. I'm sorry to say this, but so far I don't know of an exception. Maybe somebody will turn up. I don't know. But right now, when they walk out, they walk. I've seen this. I've seen some people that in the past I always considered being so uh, uplifted, so uplifted spiritually. And after a period of time, sometimes it takes two years, four years, five. But you check it out, 
and uh, you wonder I mean it's almost as if they had never seen and experienced the glory of God and you, you, you can remember not only seeing it you even experienced it with them you see <laughs> and the funny thing is they don't think there's anything wrong with them they're doing things that they would have condemned to the uttermost in their conscience in times past but now they don't see a thing wrong with it not a thing they, they do it they partake of it or in it and on and on they don't see anything wrong with it just I mean you, you see a blindness set in that's what the Lord said you're blind it's happened it's happened don't take Philadelphia lightly okay don't take it lightly you fall from there, you're, you're in a state that has some of the strongest adjectives in the New Testament. Okay? So, we have to take care. Don't y'all know who's who? Do you know who you are? This is, this is the whole essence of the New Testament. That you know who you are and that you know who Christ is. That's the whole essence of it. To know who's who. And who's rich and who's poor? Yeah, you, you have to figure this out. If you say you're the rich one, you are the poor. No, you. My goodness, I, I wouldn't. Say you felt like this. I wouldn't say you felt like this. I would just say you just dropped in a free fall like that. I mean, you're going down, accelerating at uh, whatever, uh, whose laws of gravity, the acceleration. Okay. I mean, you're, you're free falling. <laughs> down, 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 accelerating all the time, right? Well, uh, I would say, I would say this way. Now, I, I want you to understand this and not misunderstand it, and I think you can. And that is, I hope everyone realize, realizes that Christ is the rich, all-inclusive one. And that you are, you are nothing. You are the one. You, it says, I have need of nothing. It should say, I am nothing. What are you? You think you're something? What do you have? Paul said to the Corinthians, what do you have that you have not received? That implied that they didn't have anything. That's right. Okay. Paul even called himself nothing. Do we really have this view, or do we have this view that we have that we were something, even that we have something? I tell you, this is a uh, we ought to put a real red flag on this one. Call it public enemy, spiritual enemy number one, pride, thinking you are, thinking you are something, you have something. I've been a Christian thirty years. So what? You know that's like saying uh, that's like saying uh, I've been to I've, I've uh, uh, the I ten goes all the way from uh, San Antonio to uh, Los Angeles, and you get on that road and uh, you go all the way to Los Angeles, one road, and uh, I've known that for thirty years. But it's not whether you know it; it's how far have you traveled. 
so you, you maybe never got outside uh, Luke 4.10 or 6.10. Right. You maybe never got out. You maybe went to Junction as far as you got. Maybe you went to El Paso. See, it's not how it's not not how long you've been on the road. It's how far down you've gone. So, so we we, we have to we have to realize Christ is everything. If we can't boast in Christ, then that means we have to boast in ourselves. You think God allows flesh to boast? No. If any man boasts, what? You know the word? Let him boast in the Lord. That's our boast. Well, can you get straightened out who's who? You know who you are and you know who he is? Let me tell you something. This is this is this is a anomalous paradox. Okay, can you write that down? Anomalous paradox. No, that wouldn't be right to say that. Uh, one or the other, they would cancel each other out. This is a this is a paradox. Y'all know what a paradox? Do you understand paradox? This is a what's Chinese for paradox? What? Okay. Do y'all understand that? This is what this is. Okay. This is a paradox. But in Christianity, now I'm saying this, I say this, I hope, Lord have mercy on me. I hope I say it with the right spirit. But I do believe this, I honestly believe this, that in Christianity, you have an experience of Christ. And from that point on, there is this mindset that you have something. And that your dependence on Christ actually decreases as you go on, as if your history becomes the base of your confidence. Now, do you understand me? And, and uh, this makes people very satisfied, very stagnant, and, and this kills the pursuit of Christ. Uh, having been uh, to a lot of different places and situations and met a lot of different Christians, I found this to be a big, unique factor in the churches in the Lord's recovery. And that is this, that I never found another place where people did two things, that they condemned themselves as so much and they, uh, they exalted Christ so much. I never saw a place where these two things happened so much. And uh, for sure I never saw a place where people condemned themselves. And not much that they exalted Christ that much, though to some degree. But in the recovery, I saw these things uh, yoked. There was an equal yoking. Amen. You could say this. Your nothingness and his riches are really two sides to the same coin. He doesn't, you can't take his riches if you're something. Do you follow me? 
And He'll give His riches to somebody that's nothing. I mean, spiritually, before God, they realize that. And you know what's inimical to the whole thing? Is this. Our accusers today, which we have numerous accusers, opposers, okay? It's always been this way for 60 plus years, and it was 70, getting close. And it's going to continue this way. It will never change. It may may be a new face, but it'll be the, or a a new verse, but it'll be the same song. Okay, it's not going to change. But we, it's so paradoxical. We are actually accused so much of what? That, that we are, uh, which the elite, that we, are, we consider ourselves, you know, elite, higher. I, I don't think, you, I, I think you've, been, you've heard this kind of thing. We're, we're elite, we consider ourselves, the, uh, we consider everybody else nothing, and we're something, and something like that. This is this is the this is the irony of the whole thing. Is they say that, but if you ever go to have fellowship with them or to pray with them, you never sense you never they, you don't you don't have any sense that they have a kind of a poor uh, that they are poor in spirit, and they just go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm nothing, I have nothing, you're everything, I need you, I need your blood. You don't you don't you don't hear prayers that even have the word Lord. Cleanse me in your blood. You don't hear that. You don't. That is right. No, you don't. See. But you know, when we start praying this morning, you know what? The, you know what? The you know what you hear? That it, it's hard to go someplace in here. It's all of this attitude. It's a, it's it's a spirit, an attitude that comes out of your inner being. That's right. That you need the Lord's mercy, forgiveness, cleansing. You need Him to uh, supply. That without Him, this day is just a flop. The whole thing. You don't hear that. And mostly, it's just uh, we have. You know, in I mean, honestly, in Christianity, you just have a get together. Somebody speaks, and it, it, it may go well. It may be this, and then we'll go out and eat, play, play something, and uh, have a uh, kind of a social spiritual combination uh, of some sort that's supposed to uh, get you through the critical years of college life. This is the way it is. See. Uh, I, I I can't say I know all the brothers in the recovery, but boy, I have met brothers from virtually every country. Uh, yeah, you know where their churches, and that's a lot of places. I've never found an exception to this. They all they all hold one foundational attitude that they themselves have nothing and consider that they have nothing and they consider Christ to be everything. And yet we would be the ones accused that the way we view things, that we consider we're special and that we're evolving into God and that one day we'll end up worshiping ourselves and things like that. Listen, this is wild. The reality of experience goes against them. They would never get to that point, of course. But they are closer to it they are closer to it than the Spirit in the Lord's recovery. And I, 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 I say this before the Lord, and I, I, don't, I don't have any qualms to do it. I, I don't have any hesitation. 
I can assure you, I uh, I don't think I have anything. In fact, I, I don't even think I know I don't have anything. I have plenty of evidence to realize that my flesh is the same as it ever was. And it's not going to get better. So I have to boast in Christ or I'm, I'm in, you know, I've had it. I think you, do, do you all see the point? Yes, I do. Okay, I think if you see that, we can just, uh, of course, I'm, I have things, but I think as long as you get the right impression, uh, you're okay, and then you can testify, and some points will come out. Oh, we're doing great. We'll, yeah, we'll do fine. Then comes in a concept that I believe in Laodicea is one of the biggest and most prevailing concepts that is in this little uh, epistle here. And that is uh, Roman numeral 5. Numeral 5 says, uh, I counsel you to buy from me. Then there's three things, A, B, and C. Gold refined by fire, that you may be rich, white garments, and I said. Okay, uh, now, uh, let's start. Uh, we'll, what we'll do is we'll start and we'll go till uh, we have 31 minutes left. Uh, so we'll just cover what we can. The best part, uh, the best part, excuse me. Okay, the best part, uh, uh, we're not going to get to, but that's okay. Uh, this, you have to come back at four. Sorry, the best part is at four. And then I have to tell you, the best, the best, best part is after supper. Okay. Uh, okay, I counsel you to buy from me. Do you realize what's going on in this epistle? Salvation. Salvation is a gift. Don't you know it's a gift? Here's something against the concept of salvation. I counsel you to buy. If you can't see this... You miss the majority of the New Testament economy because salvation, salvation happens fast and it is it does not comprise the bulk of your experience of Christ. But purchasing from Christ the riches do comprise by far the bulk of your experience of Christ. So, do you, I, I really want you to see this one phrase. That's why I didn't clutter it with anything else. I counsel you to not receive, but to buy. Okay? Now, let me ask you a question. Do you have... Well, let me, let me, let me just say it this way. Do you think that there's a concept in Christianity today of paying a price to... To gain Christ, to experience Him, uh, to be perfected, transformed by Him. Do you think there's a concept of paying a price for that? No way. If there is, let's face it, it's small. It is. I wouldn't say it's not there, but it's small. 
But the New Testament really does emphasize that you pay a price to gain. You get out of it what you put into it. Like the hymn we sing sometimes, If no loss, no gain. Okay? Uh, Salvation is a gift. Don't ever doubt that. It's always a gift. Our relationship to God is based on the free, unmerited grace of God any and every time. But if you want to experience that free gift, you have to pay a price. It is not, it's not just going to drift down and saturate you because you're a human on earth or even a believer. You have, to, you have to exercise. You have to pay a price. And there are some things that will have to be worked out in your experience and in your being or the things will not come to you. Okay. Otherwise, how else can you say, I counsel you, I counsel you to buy from me? That's a purchase, isn't it? That's right. To trade, at least. Okay. I hope everyone's clear. We're not talking about getting saved. We're not even talking about the basis of our relationship with God. It is a gift. But if you're going to experience that after salvation, you, you have to exercise. That's right. Okay? You do have to exercise. Okay, are y'all still with me? Yep. Everybody, you're going to make it to this last down stretch? Okay. You English speakers are going to make it? The Chinese, I know, they're, they're more disciplined. They're okay. So la- the lazy Americans, we have more problems. Okay. How about the manana saints? Are y'all Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, Randy, can you hold that or stick on the floor somewhere? Let me take a little sip. Okay. Uh, here's, the, here's the concept. You can have some if you like. Uh, here's the concept I'd like you to catch, okay? The experience of Christ is not addition. It's not addition. Hang, hang on. The experience of Christ is not Christ being added to you in a simplistic way. The experience of Christ is not that. You know what it is? It's replacement. You gotta catch that. It's replacement. Christ is replacing you, not adding himself on to you. Now, do you understand me? Isn't this a big, big difference? He's replacing us, not just putting something uh, further added to our reservoir of virtues and attributes. He's replacing us. Wouldn't you like Christ to replace you? Would you like your inward parts, item by item, Virtue by virtue, unvirtue by unvirtue. Wouldn't you like to be replaced by Christ? Wouldn't you like Him to saturate your inward parts? All of them. Hundreds of aspects. Hundreds of. My goodness, there's no end to the things in which we need more Christ. And you know what? We need Him to replace us.
ask you again, do you think this is the way people consider the experience of Christ today? Come on, be honest. No. Be honest. Randy, you've been around some. Art, I don't know how much you have. Michael, you think people think this way? That they, to experience Christ, I need to be replaced by Christ. Do you think they like that? Galatians 2.20 is a verse. Most of them know that verse. That I'm crucified with Christ. I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. They know that verse. But do you think they really know that it means that they go and Christ comes? They know Christ lives in me. Oh, wonderful. Christ lives in me. But they don't see that if He's going to do that, He's got to replace them. The first part of the verse is crucifixion. Then life comes. There's death, then life. Do you think? Do you really think they apprehend that? Come on, Robert, you've been around the block. Do they, do they see that? No. No. You can say, well, somebody I know really... Okay, yes, I, I do. I myself have met numerous individuals who personally did see that. That's, that's one thing. It's just that those individuals cannot bring the Lord back. He does need the corporate building up of the church. And this must have, there, there must be a lampstand that is a testimony of this. The re, what? The replacement of Christ. Amen. He, came to, he came to replace us. Be our life. Amen. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. What is the I? That's me. God, God killed. Then, then what? Paul says, I live. So Paul's come up out of the grave, right? But then he says, yet not I. What's that mean? The I is still dead. But Christ lives in me. That means the me is got resurrected. What is this? Christ is now replaced you and now lives inside of you and through you. See? The New Testament is not just a little old Jesus loves me in versus, uh, a heaven versus hell book. It's a, it's, a, it's a great, it's, a, it's, the, it's the wisdom, the, the, uh, you know, oh, the riches, you know, uh, of the, uh, the depth, uh, the, the depth of the riches of the, of the wisdom of God Amen. is what the New Testament is. Well, you can call this a lot of things. You can you can say, well, this is how the cross works, the subjective working of the cross. So a lot of things do fit here. Uh, I, I'll ask you again: How many people do you, you you consider? How many people know that there there's really two aspects to the cross? You read the New Testament, and there's there's the cross is presented in two ways, not one way. That's right. There's the cross that Christ died on, that shed His blood, that gives us uh, total, free cleansing and access to God. Forever. And then there's another cross that Paul talks about where he says, I am crucified with Christ. And it's, he's not talking about getting saved. He's talking about living a Christian life. Amen. This is the cross. Were you terminated on the cross at Calvary? Absolutely. Yes. But you know, that cross has to be worked out in you while you live. And so that's what we call the subjective or inward working of the cross. You were not there at Calvary, but that that was for you. 2,000 years ago, something happened at Calvary for you to get reconciled to God. And on that basis, anyone who calls on the Lord's name, based on that historical 
historical, spiritual, whatever word you want to say, event, in the eyes of God, you have the basis to come to God. Amen. But that cross, or I should say that aspect of the cross, will not deal with your inward parts. No. You need the cross of Christ, which is just himself. Uh, you know, his person includes his work. And so he is in you, the work of the cross is in you, and that cross is crossing out the things of your what? Your, your fallen nature. is the work of the cross. Well, how does this work? It's easy. You know, even as we're speaking this morning, the Lord has convicted a bunch of you about this point or that point or this thing or that thing. You know what that little feeling is? That little touching is? That is Christ touching you with His cross saying, I want that to stop so I can replace you. It's so simple. Yeah. I ask you again, do you think, see, this is to us, I mean, to me, actually to me, uh, this is, this is like, this is like, uh, you know, do I know what comes after A and B? I know it's C. To me, it's just this way because I've been in recovery a long time. But uh, can you imagine how shocked I was when I first heard things like this? It was shocking to me. It stood me on my ear. Because it's wherever I went and how many places I tried to see something, I never, never got anything like this. So critical. The heart of the Bible of Christ coming in to replace us for His testimony. And I... Didn't know what it meant. Even I could quote Galatians two twenty. I could not. I could not explain it. I could not give an experience of it. I couldn't tell anybody else how to experience it. Can you believe that? Yeah, that's right. And I was considered a good one. Not not a not a nominal. I mean, this after I got saved, a good. One. I was really going for it. But I died going for something I didn't know what. I just didn't know what. Right. Okay, I think you get it. Counsel to buy from me. A, you have to buy gold. I think we can cover gold. Gold refined by fire that you may be rich. You know what one of their problems were? They were poor. And here is the Lord's way to say this is how to really become rich. You want to be rich? Rich means you really do have Christ, right? In fact, let's read a couple of verses. Okay, Steve, Second Peter one four. Uh, yeah. Okay. First uh, Peter one seven. We'll use Peter for these verses. Okay. Second Peter one four and First Peter one seven. Now, gold. This is to do this. I want to show that gold uh, here represents two things. First of all, it represents the divine nature, which is Christ in His divinity. The divine nature. Okay? 2 Peter 1.4 Through which he has granted to us precious and exceedingly great promises, that through these you might become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Amen. Uh, we push this. You know, we're big on partaking of the divine nature. We, you know, we also got in trouble with this. <laughs> yeah. 
our ministry on partake. I mean, this is Peter's ministry, but our accepting of Peter's ministry and pushing it so that we would have the experience of it got us into trouble. You know what? Oh, the divine nature. This means you're going to be uh, you're going to evolve into God. <laughs> yeah, this is right. We got in a lot of trouble just because we like this verse. So we always say, well, what does this verse mean? You know, they bluster around, fumble around, don't know what to do or say, and, and this and that. But it really is very simple. It uh, says, partake of the divine nature. That's right. and, they, and Oh, I, I don't want to say it. But, you know, this is us. They would say, oh, you're going to evolve into God. You know, the New Age, the New Age movement, y'all know what I'm talking about. See, this is one of their structural concepts you're going to evolve into God. This is a new, the New Age, believe me. Any, anytime you hear New Age anything, just write it off. It is out to lunch. Okay, I mean, it, 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 it never... It, <laughs> The, the new age, here's the new age. You, you know you know how it felt? Here's how it felt. It went from cold down this way. Okay. They have taken a lot of people from the out of the realm of being in a condition where they could even get saved. They are they are so reprobate in their mind now. They they, they couldn't they couldn't receive a word from the Bible if uh, if uh, Moses resurrected and went and handed it to them. They couldn't do it. They are gone. Believe me, they are gone. Only some great grace came upon an individual could they be turned. Some sometimes maybe a, a tremendous catastrophe might might cause them to change. But this new age stuff that uh, debunks the Bible, debunks God, all this kind of stuff, this is absolutely uh, satanic. This is devilish. Can you believe that some people, who they don't like us, they would say that we are similar to new age thinking? Because what? We say we can partake of the divine nature, and they would say, oh, you're going to be like God. Oh, I just... Listen, you know, I know Christians are not supposed to lose their temper. I know that. <laughs> but I saw Paul lose it a few times in the New Testament. He did lose it. One time he repented and because he lost it to the Jew, Jewish uh, priest. He, he lost it. <laughs> but you know... Uh, there is one verse that says, "Be angry." Well, I wasn't going to quote that part of it. <laughs> it says, "Be angry, be angry, and sin not." I tell you, I don't know if this is right or not, but if you're going to get angry about something, this 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 makes me boiling. I don't I don't mind criticism. I don't mind liberals. Uh, I'm, I mean Christian liberal. I'm not in politics. Okay, I mean Christian liberal minds. I don't mind them criticizing. I don't mind them saying, "Oh, I think you're too much." I just think that's great. But when you take when you take us that are trying to follow these plain statements of the Bible and put it into something that is uh, what I would say uh, uh, an abomination to God. The whole. Yeah. Man, that gets me. Yeah. Hmm. I'll say this. I wouldn't want to be in their shoes. No. I would not want to be in their shoes. 
anybody that anybody that uh, would stumble one of the Lord's little ones, the Lord says that per it'd be better for that person if they had a millstone around their neck and they were plunged to the sea. I feel sorry. I, I, I just they are they're bold, they're arrogant, they're they're above it all, they're proud. But one day they're going to come face to face to the white hot glare of Christ, and they're going to shrivel. I mean, they are going to sink. I doubt if they'll be at the judgment seat more than an instant. They'll be out of there. There's nothing. They'll just they'll be blown away like chaff. They're proud now. They're arrogant now. Yeah. But they're going to hit the deck one day. And I say this. I, wa I warn you. Yeah. Not because you're like this, but because people around you are. And you need your eyes open to that. Amen. Amen. All of this, all of this new age, modern, uh, higher criticism type of thinking. I mean, this is this. There's always been this kind of stuff. Always been this kind of stuff. And these people will pay a stiff penalty. Don't think. Don't think they'll escape easy. Okay. Well, that's not pleasant, but it's true. Okay, so it's the divine nature. Then First uh, Peter one seven says what? That the proving of your faith, much more precious than of gold which perishes and is proved by fire, may be found under praise and glory and honor at the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Amen. See, this is your faith, and it's proved by fire, which matches gold refined by fire. So gold here matches this verse, which says it's your faith. So it's two things. It's faith, and it's... It's Christ and His divinity as the divine nature. You see? And they go together because you apply Christ by living faith. Amen. So gold here is the application of Christ to you by living faith. And you know what? That's exactly what Laodicea left in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, they were applying Christ by living faith, and that was on the line of the bride of Christ. Laodicea fell away from that and got into all other kind of things. And they were they left gold, which was the application of the living Christ by living faith. Well, uh, I have some things that I, I'm struggling with right now. I want to share with you. I think I can do it. It's either that. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I think I should because I think this is a good point. And we'll cover the other. We'll cover B this afternoon. From four, we'll cover B on down. How about that way? Okay. Do you want to have living faith to apply the living Christ as a divine nature? Would you, would you like that? Yeah. Right, right. You're for that. Okay. Good, good. At least two of you are, right? <laughs> okay. I know, I know. Okay. Nearly everybody here. Uh, that's why I love you so much. That's why, to me, today is such a joy. And it's so easy. I'm not fighting you guys. I'm just sharing. I, I have the, the, uh, the liberty to speak is so easy. Why? Because you do want to apply Christ by living faith. I'm not trying to beat this into you. I'm not 
preaching a sermon trying to overcome the you know some kind of frigid atmosphere. It's not like that. Okay, well, there's nothing here like that. So it's easy. If you're if you feel frigid this morning, you are really in the minority. Okay. But everybody, most, most everybody here really wants to know how to go on and how to, how to really have Christ and how to apply Him by living faith, right? Get gold and be rich. Okay? So, to have living faith, I'd like to give you uh, four or five points. First of all, you need to realize that faith, if you're going to have faith, which you want to have to apply Christ, is based on the steadfast word of the New Testament revelation. That's what it's based on. It is not something that's just going to float down that you can say, that's faith. You know, a lot of, a lot of Christians are on their knees daily praying for faith. And, and they wouldn't know it if they saw it. They really don't know what, what we're talking about. And I'm not criticizing them because I did that. Faith is based... Faith comes by hearing, right? Isn't that what the Scripture says? And hearing comes by what? The Word of Christ. Okay, in Romans 10. Okay. This means that your faith is related to your knowledge of the truth. You have to know the truth. So, you cannot just get saved. Second uh, Timothy uh, 2.4 says that God wills that every man, what? Be saved. And what? Come That's right. God desires two things for every man. Two things. God desires them to be saved and come to the full knowledge of the truth. Your faith is based on the truth. You have to know the truth. Okay. You can't you're not going to be set free if you don't know the truth. Now, we're not talking about truth about little minor doctrines. We're talking about the great truths of the experience of Christ as your salvation. Okay? To conform you to His image. Okay? Now, uh, that's point one. Point two, you need to be strengthened to believe. Do you realize that... Uh, uh, if you want to have living faith, you need to be strengthened. Okay? So what I want to do is I want to strengthen you. Now, if I was uh, if I was kind of a, like a Pentecostal, I would say, Brother, you have to have faith by, you know, uh, uh, according to your faith, it shall be done unto you. Have you ever heard that, Robert? According to your faith, it shall be done unto you. Somebody really preach it to you, almost look you straight in the eyes. According to your faith, do you have the faith? Do you have the faith? Do you have the faith? Can you have the faith? Can you do it? Can you do it? Can you do it? Can you just do that? Can you just have faith? Why can't you have faith? What's wrong with you? Can you just have faith? Can you? Can you? Can you? The whole emphasis is on guess who? You. Okay. But, you know, Galatians 2.20 that we just quoted uh, runs on. Do you know what the last part of the verse says? 
Paul says, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And then he says what? And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Did you know that he lived by the faith, not of Paul, but by the faith of the Son of God? This is, this is where you, you get strengthened. You have to see it's not your faith, it's his faith in you. Once you see that, you quit. You know, you know the way I like to put it? Here's the reason people don't have faith, is they try to have faith. And you know what they have faith in? You know what, they, you know what they're trying to have faith in? They're, yeah, they're trying to have faith in their faith. It's not faith in Christ. If it was faith in Christ, the focus would be Christ, and they would automatically believe. But it's faith in their faith, and so the focus is himself, and their faith is not there. If I can only have faith. No one says, if I could only have Christ. Right. They say, if I only had faith. Why don't they say, if I have Christ, then uh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Wow. Yeah, I agree. I, pardon? By your faith, you'd be healed. That's what they say. Yeah, exactly. You have, you have, uh, yeah, you have a. Uh, let's see, what, Robert? Okay, let's say you have a, uh, uh, some kind of infirmity. Let's say it's uh, diabetes. Okay, do you have faith? Okay, let's see if you're healed. Maybe you are healed. Well, thank the Lord. That, that's that's uh, that's not that's not out. I mean, that's in the that's in the scope of the New Testament. But what if you not? What if you still have diabetes? You know, some some people threw away their needles for their insulin shots and things, and they threw it all away and uh, went into shock, had to go to the hospital. You don't think that didn't damage their faith? You know, you know what happened? Someone convinced them that it was up to them whether they had faith or not. It was faith is based on the word of the Lord. You see. And there is no clear-cut word of the Lord whether or not you will get healed from diabetes. That's right. He may heal you. He may not. See, Timothy was not healed from his stomach problems. No. Onesimus was left uh, by Paul sick, very sick, and Trophimus. That's right. Right. He said, "I left him there sick." What? An apostle who had the who had the gifts and was second to no, none of the other apostles left one of his co-workers at Trophimus. He left him near to death. Yeah. It doesn't sound like he was a very good healer, does it? <laughs> By the way, I think you all realize. Uh, healing, that's that's right. But in this age, there is no real healing. Even your heal, okay, your, your diabetes is cleared up. You're, you're okay. But you still have only X amount of years, then you die. So you're not you're not really healed. You're just temporarily uh, temp temporarily healed. God's economy is not based on, it doesn't focus on temporary healing. But the way it's presented today, it's as if that is the climax of, of Christ. Right? It's really, it's, really, uh, it's really been bent a lot out of shape. Okay, then number three, uh, if you want to, after being strengthened, you have to drop 
the thing that's in your hand. Drop it. Okay? You say, what do I mean? When you go to apply Christ with living faith, usually, or if not usually, a lot of the time, you got something that the Lord says, you know, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm just wanting to come and be your enjoyment. But you need to drop this, and I'll come in and be your enjoyment. He's just saying, let's make a little trade. You give me that, you give me the thing, and I give you the enjoyment. If you'll drop it, you'll get the enjoyment. Christ, this is why Christ is not easy to eat. You see, it's a dealing. It's a transaction. He's there dealing with you, saying, okay, let's make a little trade. You give me that. You get. It's a frustration. It's a thorn. It's a rock. It's a wayside. It's something. You, you give me that, and I'll give you... Uh, the supply of life, a little trade. See? So if you drop it, you get it. Drop the thing, you can get and get Christ. Okay? Then, number four, you need to do what it says in 1 Peter 1 7. You need to endure the fiery trial. Uh, faith is a faith is a thing that comes uh, through trial. For example, if I could show you here on the board. Uh, it's kind of like this uh, to me you could say this way uh, here we start and at this beginning point what we have is knowledge it's very important to have as point one says you got to start somewhere knowledge is important I should say you should always have more knowledge than you have experience but you have to let that, you have to hold on to that knowledge loosely. Or I should say, don't be dogmatic about it. Don't, don't, don't say, uh, uh, I've arrived. If so, you'll fall from Philadelphia. But we should always have knowledge that causes us to pursue to gain that experience. So knowledge has to go through a process. See, right here is a big process. And this process ends up here, and instead of knowledge, what you have is experience, okay? Experience uh, is the goal. Knowledge is not the goal. It is not okay just to have all knowledge. Knowledge does not mean that much. In fact, if it doesn't head toward experience, it means nothing. In fact, if it doesn't head toward experience, it's probably going to be uh, detrimental to you. Okay. So, there's a process here. And this process is called, in First Peter, a uh, fiery trial. That's your faith. Fiery trial. To convert knowledge into experience, you need a process, and that process is called a trial. And it's got a little adjective called a fiery. That, that means it gets pretty hot. <laughs> What do you think? You you like that? I really don't like that. But you know, experience-wise, that's exactly the way it happens. Right. That's right. Okay. You just you just don't you just don't uh, you know uh, you just don't kind of uh, casually understand knowledge and just you know casually walk down the road to experience. Uh, uh, we're on earth to 
get experience and uh, uh, it doesn't come it doesn't come with no price the, the concept of this of this church this epistle in Laodicea you have to pay a price you got to Philadelphia by paying a price but you gave this up now you want you, you want your knowledge to become experience you need to have a process go through a, a, a trial you see now I ask you what is what is your trial you see I have to ask the question, what is your trial? Okay. I would say, well, let me pick on Jose. Jose Luis, you want to, your knowledge to be converted into experience? Yes. Then you, there's a process in there. Don't you have more knowledge than you have experience? Yeah. Yeah. So you have to go through the process till the experience until the knowledge and the experience are one, don't you? So you need some trial, right? Okay, do you have some trials in your life? Yes. You do? Yeah. You sure? You can say, there are some things that are trying to me. They try me. Can you say that? Yeah. Okay, good. Neil, can you say that? Okay, Tim, can you say that? Some trial? You have some something no something really presses you? Really presses. Really presses you. Robert? Amen. Yeah, Jeffrey? Yes, definitely. <laughs> what do you think? Three? Some things press you? One brother I knew one time, he, he said, you know, he said, uh, I remember the brothers telling me about the trials. You know, in Acts it says, uh, through much tribulation we shall enter into the kingdom of God. And very few people can figure that out. He says, you know, they used to talk about the dealings, the Lord's dealing with us, dealing, dealing, dealing. He said, you know, I never figured that out. I said, what dealings? Ever since I've been in the church, I just enjoy the Lord. What dealings? And no one could say anything but just, brother, be patient. <laughs> He went from no dealings, this is his word, from no dealings, to having one of the hardest dealings that I've ever gotten involved in. So he will never say what dealings. Sometimes a dealing is big, massive, and short. Sometimes they're smaller, but prolonged. Who can say anyway their dealings? Does anybody want to tell me they don't have any dealings? Robert, you got any dealings? See, I'm not going to ask you what they are because you know what I found out? If they're really dealings, most people don't want to talk about them. I have dealings. I have some dealings. What do you, you don't think I have any dealings? What do you think my dealings are? Do you have any idea? Oh, he's probably you know some some saints think well I have to I get in you know I have to take care of so many problems and things like that they think that's a dealing actually that's that's nothing that's nothing quite frankly uh, most of the time I enjoy that I, I mean I don't enjoy the problem I enjoy I enjoy I enjoy uh, you know trying to serve people and to to make an attempt to bring Christ in a situation. I do. I enjoy that. I feel good. It strengthens my spirit. Amen. So uh, people think that that must be the, my dealing. They think, they think they're my dealing. 
You know what my dealing is? You don't. Hey, now you're not going to find out. Who do you think knows my dealing? Or dealing or dealings? Who do you think knows? What would you say, Sophie? Yeah, that would be the likely one. But you're wrong. I, I, I just won't share it with her. Some people think that's crazy. Uh, I, I, uh, but uh, in my case, I have a restraint. I can't. I haven't, I can't, and I can't foresee sharing it to anybody. I, if I did, I think I'll lose something. Maybe I'm wrong, but anyway, we have to go by what we feel, right? That's right. That's right. Well, uh, anyway, this, this will give us a living faith. And when we come back, we'll have white garments and eye salve. Oh, we'll have some great things. Four, four o'clock is a big thing. Okay, don't, please, if you can, do whatever you can. And I beg you, even if you have to miss four o'clock, don't miss the after supper time of fellowship. And saints, use your time to uh, this afternoon, whatever you have planned, you have to do. Uh, you may have something you, you have to do. You may need to study or whatever. If you can fellowship and pray and spend some time or walk around, whatever you do, uh, don't lose the atmosphere that we've already got today. We're, we got a lot of time ahead of us that we want to really use, though it'll be, it'll be more of a relaxed time. I want to I tell you all that you did real well. I really feel your, your uh, attention span, which we, of course, pressed to the limit, as we usually do, uh, held up very well. Now, we need to have lunch, and we need a little help on how to do that.